Welcome to episode two of sort of Blue Jays Happy Hour 2.0. We're coming to you after another low-scoring one-run Blue Jays win. That is, you know, the story of their entire season thus far. Maybe not something they're going to do for the entire season, but it's definitely worked. uh, It's worked so far. So, Stone, what's kind of your first impressions coming off a game that's looked awfully familiar? (laughs) Yeah, uh, it looked a lot like yesterday's, I would say. Um you know, uh, they've, they've commented about it a lot on the broadcast and, and elsewhere about how, like, the offensive environment right now is not great around the league. Like, the Jays' weighted runs created plus, you know, it feels like nobody's hitting, but that's just true of everybody everywhere right now. Uh, so I guess you have to put it into context a little bit, uh, how it's not looked like the offensive kind of team that we expected. Um, you know, they're missing Teoscar Hernandez, a big piece. Obviously, Bo Bichette had the, the home run today, but he struggled. Um but they're not really missing like that much that, that they should, you know, I think I went through it and they were like, they scored more than seven runs, like, like 47 times last year or something like that. And I think they've done it so far three times in the first month of the season and lost two of those games somehow. Um, so it, it's just, it's just been a little bit weird, but uh, you know, keep on banking those wins. Right. And uh, maybe give the bullpen a break one day, but, but uh, very, <laughs> very pleased to have them, banking those wins, right? Like, that's just, uh, uh, that's going to be uh, important come playoff time, as we learned last year. Yeah, I mean, they're going through a very difficult part of their schedule. There's a good chance, in my opinion, that the Red Sox don't net out as a great team. But playing the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Astros, not losing a single one of these series, uh, you know, maybe not May, kind of looking at their schedule, May still a little bit tough too, but June things start to ease up. And there's been a lot of talk you know, on Twitter about the Yankees, how they've got a great record so far, but they've just been playing trash team after trash team after trash team. Well, if the Blue Jays are kind of keeping pace with the Yankees while they're doing the hard part of their schedule and the Yankees are cleaning up on the easy part, that's, you know, that's advantage Blue Jays. And, you know, get it, the Astros haven't been the offense that they were from 2021 so far, but the Blue Jays have still done an impressive job shutting this team down. Uh, you know, we saw what they could do earlier in this series when things break out. And just another incredible start from Kevin Gosman. And I'm not an optimist as you and (laughs) probably know. I'm not a hot take guy, but my take is this. I think there's a pretty good chance Kevin Gosman wins the Cy Young this season. (laughs) It would be hard to argue against at this point. Like, I mean, good. uh, Let's say, let's say he will win the Cy Young this season. Good chance sounds too wishy-washy. I'm saying he wins the Cy Young this season. The, the strikeouts against no walks are incredible. Coming into this game, he had a .5 war advantage on the next pitcher in the American League. He definitely added to that today. And, you know, it's not just, oh, he's done well. He's also incorporated the slider more. Like, he looks like a more difficult pitcher to hit. He's still going to give up hard contact from time to time. But the way he's getting guys to chase is just totally unlike any pitcher in the entire major leagues. And somehow, you know, thanks to that, he's able to prevent guys from getting on base due to walks. Once he gives up home runs, which will happen at some point, uh, hasn't happened yet, those will probably be solo home runs because he's not putting anyone on base. And, you know, Manoa has been the guy who's maybe opened more eyes early in the season because he's, you know, he's such a favorite as the guy that this team developed and he's so good, so young. And, you know, they always seem to win with him on the mound and all that. But, Gosman has been the guy who's pitched the best, in my opinion, and this was just another masterclass by him against a lineup that's underperformed, but is pretty talented. No, I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, uh, sure. I mean, Gosman won the Cy Young of April, for sure, I think. 
Uh, and you're right, it's the slider, really, that, that it, I think is the thing, is sort of the key thing, which is weird because obviously the splitter is so good and that's what, you know, everybody's chasing that. But, you know, we talked about him, you know, as the comparison with Robbie Ray, you know, coming in, you know, in, out, of free, out of free agency, but being like a two-pitch pitcher and making that work. And suddenly, oh, wait, no, he's a three-pitch pitcher now. Um, and that's, you know, in addition to being a guy who was really good before. And obviously he's used the slider uh, in the past. But, uh, but yeah, he really became that two-pitch guy, essentially, in, in San Francisco and just didn't use it nearly as much as he has been this year. And that just allows him to, you know, give another option for hitters to guess. And, uh, and that is clearly uh, paying dividends. I, I know that, you know, I think I know they think a lot about sequencing and stuff like that. I think they were talking about that on the broadcast, uh, Dan Schulman and Pat Tabler were, um, which is obviously a, another thing. Uh, that, uh, you know, I think the Giants probably do that real well as well. But, uh, you know, maybe some of the other organizations <laughs> cough, Orioles cough, uh, were not as sophisticated at the time when he was coming up. And, and, uh, and you know, but obviously having the splitter is a massive difference because that's just such a ridiculous pitch. But I do think the slider being that third option and being one that he's confident using as much as he can and as so much as he has so far uh, really makes a difference. And he's been just tremendous to watch. Like it's, uh, you know, words can hardly describe, you know, the... What was it? Him and Cy Young now, the first uh, to go to open a season of twenty innings and no walks. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, the Orioles have proven themselves, and this is a, a previous iteration of the Orioles. To be fair, although we don't need to give the modern day Orioles any credit, um, but they totally bungled that amazing class of young pitchers they had with Bundy and Gosman, and uh, you know, Britton didn't end up being the starter they thought he was going to be. Like they had this talent on hand. And they were unable to identify and find the best way to bring it forward. And Gosman had, you know, a pretty long career bouncing around. And David Singh at Sportsnet had a great feature and a video feature on this. Like, this is the 10th year of his career. And it took him a long time to kind of find himself. Like, it was really 2020, like year eight, where he really came into himself and became the pitcher that people always thought he was going to be, right? Like, people always thought, you know, this is a top five draft pick, like a a big-time prospect. People always expected great things from Kevin Gosman. And now, you know, the Giants got to see what he was capable of. You know, the Blue Jays so far are seeing an even higher level of that. Like coming into the season, people said, oh, we, I really like the Gosman signing. The question is, how much did that second half of 2021 factor in? Like he was amazing last year. Surely he's going to be somewhat worse. How much worse is he going to be? Was really the question. And the answer <laughs> is he's not worse at all. He's better. And that's pretty astounding. It's it's crazy. I mean, if you if if somehow free agency happened right now, I think the contract looks a little better for him. Even even though this is a guy who's making one hundred ten million dollars or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, I think people like, be this month has answered a lot of those questions about like the last half of last year for sure. I mean, I was gonna say Stone before we get to some of these calls. Is there anything you'd want to chime in with about the offense? Like, how much did you enjoy watching ground balls to shortstop? If that's, <laughs> if that's the thing you like most about baseball, like this was a hell of a game. It really was. Um, other than that, there's yeah, you know, there's stuff to touch on. You know, Bo Bichette, you know, getting that home run, massive hit, the truest wall scraper, like a real Cavan Biggio type wall scraper. <laughs> now more impressive because he's taking it the other way. Obviously, uh, you kind of hope for him that it's a bit of a confidence boost or whatever. The reality is, you know, I was kind of looking into it before the game. I think that, you know, his struggles are real and you don't want to deny them. But also he's one of those guys who the expected stats are way better. So, yeah, he's striking out a lot. He's not walking. That's kind of par for the course with him. It's a little bit worse right now than it usually is, but not to an extreme extent. And what's 
happening is you're just not getting the lock on balls in play. We saw that earlier in the game where he hit a screamer and there was an out that resulted from that. And, you know, this is a game where it seems like the baseball gods kind of rewarded him a little bit with a home run that maybe, uh, you know, a little bit less impressive than most home runs are. But, you know, huge I, hit for the Blue Jays and a huge hit for him. I didn't check the wood at Dong on that one. Um, it, the but, wood at Dong was pretty solid, but I think it would be it would just Dong, if that's the right terminology. <laughs> that's how we say that. Dong yeah. in a number of parts. <laughs> I don't know if that's the correct way to put but it. But yeah, and I mean, uh, Joe Siddle had a, a, a segment. I don't know if it was before the game or I saw it on Twitter, so I'm not sure when it came from, but just talking about like, no, Bo's fine. He's not, he is not lacking for confidence, this young man. It was basically his position. And it's like, you know, he led the AL in hits last year. Uh, he's a guy who can put the bat on the ball, even though, you know, the strikeouts are going to come and the struggles are happening. And, and you know, he, he's still relatively young. And like you say, yeah, you can't deny that the struggles are indeed occurring. But, uh, but yeah, I think I, I, I'm maybe not with Siddal and Charlie and whoever else, you know, and I, 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 I would certainly consider more uh, moving him down the line. Maybe not at this point. I might have a, a week ago. Um, but yeah, he'll be fine. I'm pretty sure. I, I would, I would bet on him being fine. And his spot, I think, always should have belonged to Guerrero Jr., right? Like, if you're going to do the nitpicking, you really want to have that guy who is your best hitter sitting in the number two spot. And, you know, the Blue Jays had that with Donaldson for a long time, and that paid obvious dividends. There have been quite a few times a season where Bo has been the guy in the spot you'd love Laddie to be in. At the end of the day, you know, he is going to be fine, so you're not going to feel kind of as grumpy about getting him up in those spots as you would have. Um, you know, earlier in the season when he's, you know, he's really been a black hole at times. But at the end of the day, a lot of the worry about him is like, oh, he's not hitting a fastball right now. Well, it's not like he got old. You know what I mean? Like he's a young <laughs> player in his prime. Like when guys stop hitting fastballs, you only worry about it when they're in their 30s because you think, oh, no, is the bat slowing down? Is the hand eye not quite where it was? Does he have to cheat to hit the fastball? None of that is going to be true with Bichette. No, we're not talking about Alejandro Kirk here. No. Well, <laughs> come on. He, this guy never strikes out, and he hits a lot of singles. He and does, yeah. Now he's somehow be, a good catcher defensively. He'll be fine, too. Uh, yeah, everybody queue up. We got, we, got a, we got a caller in the queue, but uh, we can use more if you guys have something on your mind. Uh, Nick, shall we move into the, uh, the caller portion? The, the last thing I wanted to say is just sure. another huge hit from Santiago Espinal. Like, he had already been this enormous fan favorite, and this year he's obviously been productive. Total production, quite similar to last year, just more power, less on base. But, you know, there's no way to endear yourself to a fan base more than seeming to get those hits in the nick of time. And, you know, he's definitely adding to that resume and kind of burying, you know, Kevin Biggio. I wouldn't say he's burying Kevin Biggio <laughs> anymore because Kevin Biggio is buried. But, uh, you know, he's putting more dirt on it. <laughs> that is uh yeah that's that's going to be a little bit interesting i think going forward uh you'd love to see bijou get going you know if you it, if if 2019 kevin bijou showed up on this team uh that would be a very good thing so i don't i'm not ready to bury him myself yet but uh it has been ugly and it is uh it's been ugly in predictable ways i think that we people have been talking about for uh, a couple of years now about what might be uh, an issue for bijou but yeah let's get to some calls Let's do it. All right. I will fire it up. We have uh, Adrian on the line. Oh, Adrian, you there? Might need to unmute yourself. Oh, there you go. Yes. How's it going, Jen? Going great, man. Thanks for calling. Oh, pleasure. A pleasure. 
So, um, I mean, obviously, it's great to have all the, the wins in the bank. It's fabulous. Um, it feels like the Jays aren't hitting at the, their full stride yet. Um, and I'm just wondering, in comparison to the Yankees, who I don't really follow, but obviously are doing well as well, do you guys feel like they're hitting at the – like, are they hitting their full potential now and doing really well, or do they have another gear as well? Just trying to get a feel for how you feel the two teams – match up at this stage yeah that's a valid question and like you said the blue jays are not hitting to their potential yeah i'd say the yankees you know they probably are they're significantly better offense than the blue jays so far in terms of you know wrc plus and um kind of getting you know the blue jays have hit the home runs but the yankees have been more balanced across the board i think there's probably less room for growth with what the yankees are doing you know the we talked about the level of competition being a factor right if you keep playing the Orioles and you keep playing the Royals, you do have to think about what are the level of the pitchers you're seeing and how is that affecting the production you're putting together. The Blue Jays have faced a lot of good pitching. The thing that scares me about the Yankees right now is just, you know, we knew that that rotation had potential, but it looks really good right now. I know Cole's had his struggles. Uh, I've been a Cole apologist on this podcast in the past, which has only made me unpopular just in terms of him being good. <laughs> Um, but you know, Luis Severino looks fantastic in the early going Montgomery is a guy who's always been kind of underrated. So I don't know if there's huge room for the Yankees hitting to take off from where it is already, but it's worth recognizing that this is a rotation and a bullpen to be feared. And, you know, I don't think the Yankees are going anywhere. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. It's, you know, uh, it's weird. You know, Jordan Montgomery, the Jays at least miss Cole and miss Severino though the Yankees miss Gosman and Barrios, so you know it kind of works both ways. Uh, but yeah, even like stupid Nestor Cortez is going to pitch in that third game of the series this week, and uh, uh, I don't care for it, frankly. It, uh, <laughs> he is just, he's one of those guys who's just had the Jays' numbers and is baffling and is you know coming at you from different angles and just throwing slop up there a bit, but uh, has been really effective against them. Uh, so it should be interesting to see how the two teams match up. I mean, they've already, they've already done it this year, uh, uh, once already, maybe twice already. I can't even remember. Uh, I am like a goldfish in that way. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be writing off the Yankees just yet. Uh, I wouldn't be writing off the Red Sox either, though they seem to have deeper problems at the moment. I mean, if you're going to write off somebody, if you're determined to write off somebody, write <laughs> off the Red Sox. But yeah, and with pleasure, Nestor, with pleasure, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Nestor Cortez. Uh, you know, he he's, feels a little bit like a left-handed Johnny Cueto right now. Like, he's just got all of those wild deliveries. He's a lot of fun to watch. I know that a lot of people are never going to be able to take joy in watching any Yankee succeed, and that's a valid viewpoint. Um, but it is pretty interesting to see what he's doing on the mound. Uh, okay, awesome. we'll go. We'll, oh, sorry. No, go on, Adrian, please. No, no, I was just going to say thank you. Love love this, this format, and uh, I, I love the work that you guys do. So thank you. Awesome, man. Thanks thank you so much on. for uh, calling. Um, you know, we, we're going to need you to, we're going to need you to step up and, and get in the queue folks. Uh, if you want to, who cares we're, we can, Nick and I can talk just, uh, as well. I, there is some commentary going on in the chat, which we'll, uh, I'll bring you up on, um, which people are wondering, are saying Nick uh, is a little quiet compared to me, which, uh, we'll definitely work on. Uh, this is new for us and we're working out some kinks. Um, it should be fine in the, uh, uh, in the ones that are posted afterwards. Uh, but at the moment, maybe Nick's a little quiet. We'll uh, we'll get on that. We'll investigate. Uh, just looking back back through the chat, Ryan is uh, is like, "What my heart wouldn't give for a blowout win one of these days." Uh, and I think that's the sentiment that a lot of people have right now. Uh, probably a lot of people with the Blue Jays have that sentiment right now as well. I would love to see Jordan Romano get a day off, and Tim Mesa and Adam Simber, which I guess he did today. But 
but yeah, the the the, the blowout win thing uh, would be real nice. There's not really been an opportunity to relax for this team in any particular game. Like they haven't run away with games. When games where their offense is produced, it feels like the pitching on the other side hasn't been as good. And you know, the reality is that you know people are. I think it's interesting because people are saying, "Listen, they can't keep winning these one-run games forever." That is true. What's not necessarily true is that there's going to be some massive regression from this point on, right? Like you don't want to get caught up in gambler's fallacy where you believe that, oh, because they have an incredible record in one-run games, from here on out, they're going to have a terrible record in one-run games, and that's going to sink them. No, from here on out, it's probably fair to expect they'll have kind of a middle-of-the-road record in one-run games because that's, you know, they have a pretty good bullpen, but maybe not enough to make you believe that they're going to be incredible at this all year long. So I, I don't think people should have that idea in their head that, listen, you know, it, at the end of the day, they're going to be 500 one-run games. No, I think but they've done so well so far. At the end of the year, they'll probably be better in one-run games than most teams, and they'll probably, you know, exceed their Pythagorean record or whoever you want to put it. But it is definitely a concern to be leaning on wins like this all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They can't, they can't keep doing that, for sure. I mean, and we've seen we've seen the evidence last year why, uh, yeah, the, the bullpen can... It can be a, a tricky spot. So, like, like we're saying, you know, bank them right now while you can. I've got a question in the chat from Brent. Um, not so much a question as a comment, but uh, he says, "What a call by Shulman on that Springer catch." You can tell how much he's bought into this, and you know, Dan is uh, uh, an objective journalist, of course. Uh, but yes, he's a delight, and uh, it, does, it must be fun. It is fun as a person who does this for a living uh, to have a team that isn't dog shit. You know, uh, to turn around for this team, and it was, you know, the 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 2017, 18, 19 years. Uh, in 2017, there was some hope at least, which would turn that. 2018 season into... was really the dark. Year. It, you know, it wasn't an Orioles rebuild, though. I mean, we, uh, you know, having having the gift of Vlad like in the pipeline when Japiro Atkins showed up is obviously a huge one, uh, and having some assets to trade away, even though they didn't really do a ton with that. I mean, Teoscar, I guess, you know. You, that's probably enough right there to uh, to say you got a win out of out of you know whatever they all traded off. But uh, but but you know though, as, as as much as it hasn't been as bad as has as it has been in other cities, uh, yeah, that's less fun. Uh, you know, you don't get up every day thinking you know smiling about what your job is, uh, and I think fans, I'm sure, feel the same way. You know, um, and. These have been exciting playoff-like games. I mean, obviously, the, the caliber of the teams that the Blue Jays have been playing this month uh, add to that because these are teams that are going to be, you know, it, if not in October, they're going to be uh, in the playoff race all year long. Um, and yeah, it was it was great. It's uh, it's been a great run so far. I can't wait to see the you know the Guardians and the, the Orioles eventually, and uh, maybe not so much the Rays, but uh, um, yeah, it's just been really fun so far. Uh, One thing on Springer before we get yeah. to Seth, who thank you for waiting patiently in the queue. That is sort of the that's the best you're going to see out of Springer because it really emphasizes what he's good at. Like he's fast, like he's capital F fast. He's got that sprint speed that's in 82nd percentile, or whatever it is. Even though he's in his 30s, he's a bigger guy. Like he's got that build up speed. He's not that laterally agile, tiny center fielder. So. When he's got a ball and there's a long way to go, he can go get that ball if it hangs up a little bit. There may be some balls that he's less good at getting at, but if you give him time and you give him a few seconds to build into a full run, 
he can go a long way. And it's really fun to watch him make those catches because, yeah, a lot of guys, it's like, oh, that's so far away. He's not going to get there. And the thing that makes Springer good in center field is that in those moments, he's got a chance to get to a lot of baseballs, even though he's sort of bigger, stronger, bulkier than we see with the traditional center fielder. Yeah, no, I think that's that's true. He's going to be a great right fielder one day. <laughs> it's kind of the thing, but uh, but not yet. And, and you know, he's made some great catches in center as well. Uh, so let's let's go to Seth here. We've got a caller in the queue. Anybody else? Please uh, please call in, talk talk to us. But first, we'll uh, we'll go to Seth. Thank you for calling in, man. Looks might like need to mute. might need to unmute yourself. Yeah. My apologies. All good. Getting used to the call-in app. Um, <laughs> Thank you for doing it, man. My pleasure. I, I'm just saying uh, we, we got to get used to this. This is good. Uh, the run differential thing last year is kind of annoying because you bring you bring it up and talk about it because <laughs> your team's losing more than they should, right? So I'll take these close games. I'll take our bullpen getting battle-tested. I'll take not seeing Trent Thornton. Too often, like these are all signs to me that uh, we got a real good ball club and we need to appreciate it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. The run differential is kind of for losers, is a bit of a thing. And I think you, people know that when they when they start quoting it and leaning on it too heavily. Uh, you know, I still think the Mariners were uh, had no business being as close to, to the playoffs as they were last year. Um, but yes, I think you're absolutely right that this is. Uh, I would absolutely take this and and. You know, these games have just been so much fun, too, which is uh, – uh, it's tough on the nerves, but uh, but I think you're right. The battle testing that bullpen, and hopefully they don't wear down too much. It's a long season ahead, but uh, nothing nothing but good can come from this kind of atmosphere that they've had in the, the first month of the season. Yeah, I mean, Stoughton, you always say that prospects are for poor people. Like, the equivalent is, like, <laughs> yeah, run differential is for losers, right? Like, a little you bit. Imagine yourself in a conversation with a fan of another team – and you say, oh, well, you know what? Your team might be have a better record, but our run differential is better. Like, that's not – that might have some accuracy behind it, might have some sabermetric weight behind it. It's not really compelling in a barroom argument. Uh, and what's more compelling is saying this team is really good and it's won a lot of games. And that can be overly <laughs> simplistic, but that's where people get joy from being a fan is following a team that's successful and this team is having success – if you're a fan of the Blue Jays, try and enjoy that success. And, you know, there'll be plenty of things to worry about in the future. But you can worry about those things as they happen. As opposed, And, you know, I'm I'm very bad at this in basically any facet of my life. So, like, I'm coming from a place of no credibility. <laughs> but, I, but I would say that, like, there's plenty of time to worry later when those things are actually happening as opposed to taking the time out of a very successful stretch to bring those worries to the front of your mind. Yeah, you know, just appreciate that we're not watching Rafael Dolis, right? Like, like, Always appreciate that. It could, it could be worse. Uh, let's move on to another caller. We are going to take Joe. Uh, thank you so much, Joe, for calling in. It's a pleasure to be here. It's uh, we're two and zero on days that you guys are podcasting. That's uh, yeah. That's that, we're real happy about that because I don't know if anyone would be here It'd after be a, a tough different, loss. Different vibe. I'm sure yes. we'll see what happens when they lose eleven nothing, but not yet. Yeah, I, I just wanted to you know take a look ahead to the Yankee series. Like you said, there's not going to be like the major starting pitchers. No Cole, no Gossman. But uh, do you think uh, a series? Facing kind of like the 
lesser pitchers might get the bats going? That would be real nice. Uh, like I mentioned Cortez earlier, like he's, uh, he yep. worries me down the line, but, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're sneaky good, right? And you, you, you'll get a Michael King game where he comes and pitches four and he's out of the bullpen and they can't touch him. But, but you do look at Jordan Montgomery and think, like, this is a guy the Blue Jays should be able to, to tee off on a little bit. Um, and, yeah, hopefully. I mean, if not then, you know, you got Cleveland coming up, and I'm not sure who's even after that, but uh, – but, Cleveland has had some success. They had that one guy that we talked about for months and months and months who exploded at the start of the season there, um, who sadly won't be a Blue Jay, but maybe they don't need him. Uh, but, yeah, the Yankee series will be a great time for the bats to wake up a bit. Uh, hopefully the weather gets kind of nice, too, and we can uh, get that dome open, and maybe that'll start you know, helping them out a little bit, too. I know the, the cold weather is always an issue, even though they're playing indoors, obviously. Yeah, I mean, Montgomery, like I said before, he's a bit underrated. Cortez has been so good early in the season. You know, even Tyon is no slouch. So when I when I look at this slate of pitchers, I don't think, oh, man, okay, this is the time when the Blue Jays' bats are going to come alive. They've never been quite as good against left-handed pitching as you'd sort of expect based on the fact they're so stacked with right-handed hitters. Now, at times, they're not as bad against righties, so it's kind of fine. But, yeah, when you're talking about let's get the bats on track, unfortunately, you know, the Yankees aren't the first team that comes to mind in terms of being able to do that against because the rotation is good and the bullpen is really good. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen. The Blue Jays clearly have the talent to hit against anybody. But it is, uh, you know, the Yankees aren't that team where you're like, okay, the Yankees are in town, in town let's go. Yeah, no, I, 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 think that, uh, <laughs> I think that makes sense. Thanks so much, Joe. We are going to move on to Jesse. Uh, oh, we're going to move on to Jesse. There yeah, we go. We go. Uh, thank you so much for calling in, Jesse. Appreciate you and everybody who's downloaded this app and have joined us on this weird little thing. Uh, how yeah, you doing? I'm actually getting flashbacks to calling um, your answering machine from back in the, the Blackbird <laughs> days. <laughs> I- I'm sober right now, though. Um, <laughs> so much. <laughs> uh, I. I Sorry, Stern, I'm not sure if you touched on this on your Substack this weekend, but I, I just wanted to get uh, both of your guys' thoughts on uh, Kikuchi's start from, I think it was Friday, and I guess just how in, more in general from April. It looks like he's kind of open to tinkering around with his, his stuff um, a little bit, surely and slowly, but yeah, just wanted to get your guys' thoughts. Thanks. Yeah, man, I think uh, I think we're going beyond tinkering at this point, right? Like he was, you know, he, he didn't throw the cutter or the slider, he sort of combine them into a different pitch, uh, which is like a harder slider slash cutter, which is, uh, which is, uh, you know, clearly something that the Jays have seen and wanted him to do. Uh, I know that the baseball savant and the stat cast is picking it up as a cutter. If anybody was looking into that stuff, as I find myself frequently doing, um, but they're calling it a slider. Uh, so that should be interesting. I think that uh, this is something you'll see when I write about the whole weekend series, which will be coming up later today. Um, you know, he just couldn't. And I think Joe Siddleman mentioned this on the broadcast uh, yesterday or Friday, whatever day it was, um, that he, he, he just, that there was a lot of non-competitive fastballs, especially I think to right-handed hitters, like a lot where he just wasn't near the zone. I think his zone percentage was under, was like 45% or something like that when he can be, he'd be quite a bit higher there. And so maybe, uh, you know, you, you have a little better fastball command, you'll, you'll see something better from him. He's also, you know, he got rid of the hitch in his, uh, his delivery. Uh, so that's, you know, that, that's something that he said, Oh, it was a couple days ago. Uh, we changed it in the bullpen. It felt great, so I went with it, and uh, it didn't quite work out. But uh, hopefully, that's something where a few more reps he'll be able to figure it out. Because you know he's here for three years. Yeah, they've made a big investment on him, and that investment 
is largely based on these raw tools that he brings to the table as opposed to his production in the past. Even though he was an all-star, he really had a good half season. And other than that, the MLB level, it's been troubling. Yeah, he's doing a lot of tinkering. And like you said, the tinkering isn't working. That doesn't mean that it's never going to work. This is a long-term project. But, you know, Kevin Gosman, for instance, we talked about how he's already made us feel better about the investment in such a short period of time. Kikuchi has done the opposite. Like, you can't watch what he's doing and say, wow, I feel better about the Kikuchi signing than I did (laughs) when they did it. Like, no, you have to feel worse. Like, people often with him, he's throwing more of the forcing fastball and that people think that's kind of the silver bullet for him because his velocity is so good from the left side. You know, he's got really good results with it, but the expected results and the exit velocity is still high against that pitch. I'm not going to be super pessimistic about where he's headed. It's a long season. He's a guy they're going to work with, you know, over this three-year span. He doesn't have to be incredible for the team to succeed, but it uh, it's definitely discouraging what you've seen so far, even if it doesn't mean you should abandon ship. And also just like guys who are calling in, appreciate that question. You guys don't have to necessarily ask us about the game that just happened. I think especially for the listeners who are going to tune in later on, uh, it's good to touch on topics about, you know, things we've missed in between our podcasts and things have happened the week and all that stuff as well, because we don't want to, make this exclusively about what happened in the game. Yeah, de- definitely. Um, and well, let's go on to, let's go to, back to the chat. Uh, we've got Cameron saying, maybe this is blasphemous to say, but it feels like the Jays are doing what the Rays have always done, playing sound defense, great pitching, scratch out two, three runs, and win. A little bit. I, I don't think that's blasphemous. I think that is what they're doing. Now, is that what they're going to do? Is that yeah, what I don't know if they're built to, to do, do that, yeah. Not really, no, but uh, but they are doing that. And, you know, again, we keep talking about this premise of they are banking wins, and that's exactly what they're doing. Like, they're facing a tough part of their schedule. They're getting through difficult series. They haven't dropped a single series all season long, and they are winning a bunch of these games. We didn't necessarily expect them to win games like this. And, yeah, the Blue Jays have to feel good because they know that this offense in particular can be so much better than it has been, and they're already – you know, with the expand, I don't, I haven't looked at it today, but the, you know, making the playoffs odds from Fangraphs, something like that, you know, it's in the, it's over 90% right now. And it's because they've been able to put together such a good early stretch, despite not playing their brand of baseball or reaching their potential on the offensive side. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about it at the start of the year, you know, what could be the Achilles heel of this team, what could go wrong. And, and Nick, I know that you in particular were, were concerned about some of the depth uh, that they have, and I think that that's still a valid concern. I don't know if, if Zimmer came along after that conversation or not, but I think he's been, uh, you know, the, the it's weird how they've just been able there. to... He's been a an MOB player. <laughs> well, I mean, defensively, I think it's weird how they've been able to flip their identity a little bit. You know, you lose Teoscar, you lose uh, Danny Jansen, and now suddenly Kirk is a great receiver and, and, and is looking, uh, which he wrote about this week, is looking great back there, uh, despite, you know, the struggles at the plate. You know, you have Zimmer... You have Espinal. Those are three, like, I mean, Kirk's maybe not in the same conversation, you know, defensively at that just yet. But framing-wise, yes, and he's been blocking balls, and he's been doing a lot of good things, you know, uh, behind the plate. So I'm not ready to call him an elite defender or anything. But that's been, you know, that's been real good for them. That hasn't been that hasn't been a loss defensively. You can stick Zimmer in there. You can stick Toppy in there. And that you, get, you have a glove, you know, you're losing a little bit in terms of offense. And you have Espinal, uh, you know, roving around, mostly playing second base, obviously. Um, sometimes being the fourth outfielder when they're doing all these shifts. And that's, I think, sort of been something, too, that, that maybe we don't talk enough about is all the shifts that they're doing, which I think is like still uh, way above anybody else in the league. They're just, you know, on, at every opportunity uh, taking advantage of, of what the data is telling them to, to go and, 
and, and shift on guys. And it, it, it doesn't seem to be hurting for sure. And uh, I think that, you know, we'll see some defensive regression once it's, you know, an outfield of Guriel, Springer and Tay Oscar, but obviously uh, that will come with, uh, with, with, with many positives, which would be of course, Tay Oscar's bat being back in the lineup. Also, there's been a lot of the four man outfield. Like that's been a huge part of what they've done. And when you like, that outfield you're describing of Guriel Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, and George Springer, which is not a great defensive outfield. You know, Springer's kind of okay. Uh, Teoscar has been okay recently, but has been bad in the past. So I don't know how you want to project that forward. Guriel has a lot of adventures out there. When you put another guy in that outfield, and I don't know what the percentage of bats they do that on right now, but it's pretty significant. When you get Espinal out there as well, you know, suddenly Guriel doesn't have to cover as much ground. And the same can be said for Hernandez. And so I think it also raises the floor of the outfielders when you're willing to play those alignments pretty consistently. And they've shown they're able to do that. And they, they got an extra out out of that today. They had a, you know, screaming Oops. liner to right center field that Springer caught. And, you know, realistically with the three-man outfield, and they said this on the broadcast, you know, that is an extra base hit. Well, it's not an extra base hit anymore. And if you lose a couple of grounders through the infield – that's a trade you're going to be happy to make because especially against a guy like Gosman, for instance, if you're giving up infield singles, they have to sustain rallies in order <laughs> to bring those around. And they did do that on one occasion today, but it's very hard to do. Yeah, no, I think that, that that's a great example of, of what they're doing and how they've, they've taken advantage of what you can do for now in terms of <laughs> using the shift. We'll see you know, in years to come, whether that goes away or not. It's kind of fun when it's working for you, when you're, when you're Kevin Biggio, like smashing balls into into like a heavily shifted infield. It's oh, maybe sm- not much smashing better. balls is an, well, that's, an exaggeration yeah. when uh, it comes to Kevin Biggio. When that came out, I was just like, oh, that's not the word you want to use. Uh, let's go. Fun. Joe in the comments uh, comes back and says, let's hope Anthony Rizzo doesn't hit three cheap home runs in Rogers Center this week. Well, they, they won't be as cheap as the ones he hit at the Yankee Stadium because it, they just physically, that's impossible. Those were yeah, uh, that was wild. To see. <laughs> well, they all count, I guess. I, Yankees fans did not like <laughs> me or other people talking about their joke stadium but uh you know we have an, another comment in the chat springer dingers for i love showman has dubbed the defense of three four defense uh with the outfield I, I'm, <laughs> as, a, as a big oh no you've given nick myself. an excuse to talk about football here yeah I'm, I, I love any excuse to talk about football so i appreciate you bringing that up three four defense you know one of my favorite one of, of the two major defenses arguably my favorite uh no <laughs> that's like you know, madden in my day but it is something you notice with Showman, and Showman's a fantastic broadcaster. Also, the first ever guest on Blue Jays Happy Hour. Fun fact that some Ooh, of you yeah. may know. We maybe we'll get him to come on in this format. We'll see. I don't want to make any promises. Just no, yeah, all the, all the people that would do that are, are busy. Yeah, that's <laughs> games yeah, is it our would be a post game. It would be a, an off day or something like yeah. that. Um, but one thing you notice with Showman is that he has extraordinary knowledge in a number of sports. Like he's a, you know, he's a very high level basketball broadcaster, for instance. And as that really bleeds into the, into his commentary. And that can be really entertaining sometimes. Like when we got that story about how Pat Tabler might've potentially played with Larry Bird and that would have been a whole different fork for his, like, I love to hear about that. Like that was really interesting and fun to know like i'd never known about that the tabler supposedly this really good basketball i don't say supposedly as if he's lying uh, <laughs> that he was a really good basketball player and that's something that could have happened for him in his life and i you know maybe anyone could have talked about that but because showman is such a high level college basketball broadcaster he's able to be at ease with that and yeah him bringing in kind of some football terminology as well just kind of goes further to that point 
Yeah, it's a, absolutely. And the, the, the tabler thing, it is weird. I mean, you know, athletes are so specialized now, I think, uh, that maybe it doesn't happen as often. But, you know, sometimes uh, just being a, a, a brilliant athlete kind of crosses a lot of boundaries. Like, I remember talking to Justin Bourne about how his dad and his father-in-law, Clark Gillies, was, they were both drafted as, uh, and played minor league ball for a bit. You know, the like, hockey Hall of Fame guys. But they, you know... That's kind of how sports in Canada, I think, worked for a long time uh, back then. It was, you know, you play hockey in the winter and baseball in the summer. You can see a lot of that. Uh, but, like, I don't know, sometimes just you have the you have vision and coordination and, and, uh, and physical skills that, uh, that that lends you to, that leads to you being good at, uh, at any number of sports, which is kind of interesting. But, yeah, I think you're right. I would love to hear. I, I love hearing stuff like that. And, you know, Tabby, the football, Tabby kind of lights up, but not, not, not unlike some, uh, some other people I know when the, when the football subject comes up and that's not the, necessarily my favorite, but, uh, um, but yeah, I, I think that that's the, the, the many disciplines, uh, approach, uh, is, is it enriches things. Um, I would be interested to see someone do that feature on Tabby's basketball career. I know that the athletic does a lot of features on kind of, you know, sportscasters and broadcasters and various people, kind of in the business as well. And sometimes that can be navel gazy and kind of uh, not bring a lot to the table and you want to actually hear about the teams and the athletes, but that is a story at a hundred percent read. For sure. For sure. All right. Before we, we don't have any other callers, but before we get out of here. So one thing I did want to touch on is the whole runners and scoring position thing. I feel like that has been such a big topic in the last couple of weeks. We've talked about this on the podcast before. I think we're both generally in the camp of don't worry about it ever. Um, but I did want to point out, you know, they had the second worst WRC plus in scoring with runners and scoring position 58 coming into this game. And, you know, Espinal did deliver that big hit, but that is one of those things that has a huge effect on the outcome of games. Even if it doesn't have a huge effect on what we think about the players or team building or long-term prognoses, it's pretty remarkable that they've been able to win hitting like that when it matters. Like that's another thing that if you're a Blue Jays fan, you can be encouraged about because they have absolutely shot themselves in the foot at the most important junctures <laughs> of the vast majority of the games they've played. And they've still scored enough runs uh, to have this record, which is a pretty sterling record thus far. And if anyone out there is worried about how they're doing in these situations, that is understandable. Cause like I said, it really plays into the outcome but I think, you know, I'm not putting words in your mouth, Stone. You can go for it. But I, I think that the, the story of that is, wow, this is something they've overcome so far, as opposed to this is a flaw with the 2022 Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's, it, you know, you, you, you want to be careful not to hand wave it away too quickly. Um, also, I mean, it kind of folds in similarly to the, uh, to the late and close stuff. I think that's maybe a little more. Uh, of a real thing, like, but Ross Atkins at the end of the year last year was definitely talking about how we have maybe too many similar hitters, uh, and that that was an exploitable thing against them, uh, late and close, especially the, in the playoff race. Um, and that's maybe so, you know, that, that's, that's not the same as the runners in scoring position thing, but that's, you know, that's something that I think, uh, operates on sort of a similar plane. But yeah, I think you're mostly, I, I think you're right that it, it's, it is something that they have overcome, uh, and not a trait that they, that, that, that belongs to them. Uh, you'd sure like to see it change a bit though, wouldn't you? Yeah. I think that would be a good avenue to them playing some of those stress free games we touched on earlier. <laughs> Before we get out here, we do have one more comment that I think is interesting. So uh, we'll touch on that. If anyone wants to be an 11th hour caller, I'm not shooing you away by the way. 
Um, but this is Cameron McKay. There was a comment made in a pregame interview with Shapiro regarding maintaining a high payroll. He mentioned we need to have fans come to the stadium in the same way they did in 2015. To that end, they're investing improvements in the stadium. My interpretation was the updates to the stadium are meant to increase revenue to a point where they're able to maintain that high payroll. I think that's, you know, that's a big part of it for sure. Like there's, this has become one of the older ballparks in baseball. Uh, they, you know, they've been looking for revenue avenues for it. It's not sexy when they say we want more kind of luxury box and that type of seating. Uh, people don't like to hear that either because most of us are not going to be attending games in those type of scenarios, but it is important for revenue. And they have to be absolutely delighted with attendance so far. And, you know, people watching on TV, the ratings for the Blue Jays have been absolutely incredible in the early going. And I could see them building momentum for that over the course of the summer, you know, when the Maple Leafs inevitably get eliminated, you know, the Raptors have been eliminated. The Blue Jays are about to kind of take center stage. And I think they're ready for their close up. And you could see that type of momentum in the fan base that could lead to this revenue and could help them continue to push this forward. Yeah. I mean, that's good for business for, uh, for folks covering the team too, I guess. But, uh, but no, I missed the Shapiro interview. I'm definitely going to check that out before and, and write something about it uh, either for today or for uh, early next week. But uh, but yeah, I, I, that's basically what I heard as well. Um, you know, I mean, I think the Yankees, like Yankee Stadium, has has kind of like they have the the different seating set up, which maybe is something that they're looking uh, towards doing. Where you know, I think it's you know like like clusters of four, and, the, and the, of course they're going to of course everything's going to get more expensive. I mean, it's already pretty expensive there, so I mean. Some of that, some of the stuff about like pricing folks out. Uh, I think people are, are are already pretty priced out of some of the better seats there, anyway. But uh, but obviously that's a concern, and accessibility is, is a is a huge thing. I've said many times, you know, the, the Toronto Star Pass is the reason I'm basically here because it was like a hundred dollars, and it was the price of a movie. Uh, or well, that was even cheaper. But like that's where I, that's how it started. I would go watch games because it was the price of a movie, but I could drink basically is, is how I really really got into it. That's a big part of my story as well. Like, yeah, and on a Star Pass, a hundred dollars. Me and my friends had something to do in the summer. Like, when especially when you're younger in the summer, you don't really have much disposable income or money to throw around. Suddenly, the ballpark can kind of be your home uh, in terms of entertainment. And I think they, they, you know, they did the early thing in April, but uh, having I forget was all of April for sixty dollars or something like that. Like, I like Pretty to see deal. those type of things happen. Yeah. But you know, the, I mean, I don't. The star thing's not coming back, but it was a <laughs> it was a huge avenue into into the ballpark for so many people who maybe people who wouldn't consider going to more than kind of one or two games a month, and suddenly they're diehard fans. So it was undoubtedly effective. Yeah, no, and I, I think that accessibility is really important, and I hope they don't lose sight of that uh, when they do all these these renovations, which are clearly uh, geared towards uh, revenue. Though they also talked about you know making the fences asymmetrical or doing little things with that, which is something I tweeted this earlier today, uh, you know, something that I've, I've heard and I had people, you know, in my ear a couple of years ago, like, Oh, here's a part, here's the plan that they're, they're looking into the, the, in the literally changing fence. the orientation of the stadium and, and stuff like the that. Right field fence. It's pretty simple for the team they've got now. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make the right field fence incredible, like as tall as the green monster, but at like 370 feet. <laughs> and then bring in the left field fence to about 310, and you've got a hell of a ball club at that point. I mean, yeah, just change it every year. Why not? We'll just be like, we'll be the Orioles. Oh, we can't develop pitching? Well, we're going to move the, the fences back. Um, but, it, I mean, I think, you know, I think that, that ultimately it's going to be very interesting to see where they go with the uh, with the renovation stuff. Um, I don't know. The, the, it could use a fresh coat of paint, really. Uh, the stadium's great when there's a ton of people in there. 
unless you're in the seats that are, like are pointed towards center field. And there's, you know, I think that those are hopefully the kind of things that they're, they're going to address while also putting, you know, luxury boxes like on field level and, and extracting as much money out of everybody's pocket as they possibly can. All right. I think we're going to leave it there, folks. We appreciate people calling in, being in the comments, whichever way you want to engage with us. Uh, it works for us. You know, downloading this app, being a part of this new journey with us is fantastic. Um, and for people who are listening later, you know, we have the RS feed come out. Um, it seems like we can be found in more places than we anticipated. Uh, maybe Stone is more qualified to talk about this than I am because I'm already running up against the limits of my knowledge. But it seems we're findable on Colin, Apple, Spotify, and a number of other ones as well. And if you're not here to listen to us in the moment, absolutely check out the shows later on.